podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, everybody, it's that time to get started, to pick up where we left off. We are at the birthday of the church. It's called the Day of Pentecost. The Jews called it Shavuot. And uh, we are picking up there in Chapter 2. Things have just gotten started, and it's time for the first sermon ever preached introducing Christianity to the world. And so there's a lot to learn. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father God, as we look at these words, the very first sermon preached in the Christian era, Christianity coming to age and blossoming there, the foundation of the gospel. So help us, God, to pay attention because we see what's really important what our message is. What it was then is what it is now. There is uh, judgment to come, but in love, God has made a way of escape. Help us to see this and be inspired and um, committed to the plan to seek and save the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The apocalypse, when you say that word, you know what I'm talking about. It's used in the world to describe the end of the world, that cataclysmic disaster known as Judgment Day. But it's a bit of a misnomer because uh, in the Bible, that day is not referred to as the apocalypse. Actually, apocalypse is from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means revelation or to unveil something, which is the very first word of the book of Revelation. It's the first word, and that's where we get the title of the book, Revelation. But, you know, call it whatever you'd like. It's been on the world's mind for a long time. And if you Google end-of-the-world movies, you will see that there have been hundreds of them since the 1950s even. And so I have a little slide here just to say... As I've said before, that I believe that art reflects life, really, and lets us know what humans are thinking about, right? And so God gave us a human conscience, and in the conscience is encoded some innate truths that we just know by instinct. And we know that, for example, uh, that... uh, there are movies that have biblical themes, though they are secular in their nature. For example, there's uh, one based on asteroids heading to the earth. Well, that's straight out of Revelation 8. 
And then there are nuclear missiles being dropped, and that's also out of the book of Revelation, chapter 8. There's uh, movies on the end-all pandemic, where a virus sweeps in (laughs) and destroys the place, which is what Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 21. Uh, There uh, are movies based on global war that brings humanity to a close, and that's found in Revelation chapter 6. Then they have a movie about the end-all earthquake that flattens mountains and disrupts the ocean, which is exactly word for word from Revelation chapter 16. And there are movies that describe disturbances in the constellations themselves. The sun, moon, and stars are shaken. And that's exactly what Revelation chapter 8 says. And in the very first Christian sermon this morning, we take a look on the day of Pentecost, we'll mention the sun, moon, and stars at the apocalypse, the day of judgment being affected. And so we're going to be taking a look at that here in Acts chapter 2. As I've been saying, the New Testament has arrived. It is the new covenant, the new arrangement. The old arrangement was do this or die, where the Old Testament prepared our hearts to see that we need a Savior. It brought down the law and convicted us and condemned us. And then God prepared the nation of Israel through whom he came himself, incarnating himself through that nation to offer himself as a sacrifice. And and then when he did his work on the cross and paid for the sins of the world, the new covenant, the new arrangement of trust God, trust Christ, and live. And now it's that day, it's the inauguration, if you will, of the church The age of grace, where God is not counting men's sins against them, but paid for them all and begging everybody to be reconciled back to God. And now forgiveness is available and a new life, a new life is born in us that can never die if you believe in the name of the Son of God. And so uh, to give you some context context before we uh, pick up again, last time we saw the risen Lord, right before he ascended there, he said, listen, I've done all the hard work, and now I'm giving you guys the message, because the message will save. I did the work to, to make men and women able to be saved and live forever, and the way, the mode that that will happen is through the message called the gospel. And they hear it, and boom, they're reconciled. So I'm passing the torch to you guys, but don't do anything until 10 days from now you receive power from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of worldwide evangelism, to be able to share the gospel with power. And so uh, as we saw last time, the power had come. The Spirit was there, evidenced by the sonic boom times a million, the sound of a rushing powerful wind, and then interestingly enough, uh, tongues that looked like uh, fire, flames of fire over their heads. And uh, and then the first manifestation is that those tongues of theirs were praising God in many different languages that these 120 Galilean followers of Jesus had never known. And so what's amazing is that, as you re- recall, this happened on a Jewish holiday, 
a major one where Jews from all over the world were mandated to come back to Jerusalem. And there was a list representing countries where these Jews came from. And I didn't have time last time to show you the map of where they were all from because look at the genius of God at this map here. Every name in red there is listed in the previous paragraph where these visiting Jews who came to celebrate Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or we call it Pentecost, they came from those names of those countries from, or places, regions in the world, from Asia, Phrygia, Cappadocia, and Rome, and all over the place. So they're all gathered. Now the Holy Spirit falls and speaks in all of their languages the gospel, the amazing things that God has done, so that they will get saved, filled with the Spirit, and they'll sooner or later have to go back home. Now as Jewish Christian evangelists to bring the gospel to where? The entire world around there. And so this is the genius of God. It's always been his plan from day one. He saw the fall of man coming, our helplessness, our sinfulness, our hopelessness, our condemnation. There was no way for us to save ourselves and so he did the work and then he gave the message to us. So while they're all kind of transfixed and looking at these 120 people. Now it's spilled out into the temple courtyards. The sound brought many people there. There are thousands of people there and everybody's transfixed and and listening to these men and women praising God. And then this happens in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed these people speaking in these foreign languages, praises to God, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, surprise, and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Duh. Oh, the duh is in there in the original language. (laughs) It's super hard to find. because it's not really in there. Verse 16, no, not some drunken gibberish. This is that which was spoken by, in the Bible, the prophet Joel chapter 2, verses 32 and forward. And now he's quoting without notes because he's prepared and the Holy Spirit has filled him. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. This is what's happening right here. This explains it right from the Bible. Your sons and daughters, Joel says, will prophesy, proclaiming God's word. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will proclaim the word of God. That's what that word means. Moving on. And here's what's coming. And here's the reason for the gospel. I'll show wonders, not good ones, in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Judgment day. 
the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And here's the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, it's good news. The bad news always comes first. It has to. Or wouldn't it be good news? What's good news? If you don't know that you need to be saved and why you need to be saved, uh, there's no reason to be happy about it. And so you have to get the bad news first. And so, yeah, now we're going to get situated now. And uh, it's actually part one of a longer sermon, uh, but we only have time in a service to handle the introduction, which is what I just read to you. Uh, Verse 40 does tell us, quote, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. So this sermon is just a synopsis of really uh, the first message given on, on Pentecost Sunday. And, and it says, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, this is not the message of Christianity today because people don't want to be mocked and so they've changed things. They call it the progressive Christian message where it's not very offensive, you know, it's just reduced to some warm, fuzzy, spiritual-sounding nonsense, really, that wouldn't offend anybody. And so, yeah, but opening Sunday for the Christian church the prototype of all sermons has this. The world is on a collision course with the wrath of God, but because God is loving, he made an escape through his son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the opening sermon, and it speaks volumes to us about what our focus why are we here? What's the, the nature of the work of the gospel? The message of our lives, the words on our lips should have an overarching theme. I mean, think about it. If you're headed for the wrath of God and you're on your way to hell, every other issue is secondary and unimportant until your eternal soul is safe. Honestly, right? So don't get distracted with other subjects when the person you're talking to is headed for eternal loss. This is the message, and this is the first overall takeaway from the opening sermon is on fiery judgment to come and the way of escape so that you don't have to perish but have everlasting life. I wish more uh, believers realized what the true focus of our Christian message is all about. Uh, and perhaps as a result of this effort this morning, uh, we'll move closer to that. And so our passage does divide quite nicely into three nuances. It's one subject. Peter gets up to explain what's going on biblically, and he preaches the gospel. But by doing so, three things happen. First of all, he has to answer uh, some mockers. He has to defend the faith. Uh, from slanderous, uh, hard-hearted unbelievers who like to mock. Uh, So that'll be our first little talking point. And then we'll talk about uh, explaining what's happening in light of the Bible. So he says, hey, let me explain what's going on here. It's biblical. And let me show you. Joel chapter 2. And he starts quoting, you see. So that's the second thing that happens with the gospel. We always have to defend from hostile style mockers out there that don't believe. And then we always have to give a reason. Well, the, what happened in my life, what you see happen, the change, is 
because God came into my heart and life. I repented of my sins, and you should too. And number three, uh, he shares the, the good news um, in light, in the backdrop of some very um, sobering news that uh, the end of the world is drawing near. But there's a way out. Um, so yeah, let's dive in then uh, and see what we can learn for ourselves. Starting at verse 12 there um, and dealing uh, with the defense um, of our faith in light of being mocked. Because that's always going to be the case. So I'll paraphrase verse 12. The crowd is wowed but bewildered at the same time. Everybody wants to know what's going on. 13. Not everyone's joining in the party because they don't ever. Some in the crowd are mocking them, accusing them of being drunk. 14. It's go time. Uh, Peter stands up with the rest of the 11. They stand too. And he addresses the crowd in a loud voice and he says, listen up and pay. In the Greek it's very important. Pay very good attention here. Do not miss this. That's the idea here. So he's bold and he's standing there and he says, verse 15, first of all, people don't usually get drunk before breakfast. So you can toss that idea straight out of your mind. And so let's reflect now. Now, first of all, first takeaway for me, what a difference. I already alluded to it in their opening remarks that only 50 days have passed since a junior high girl who asked Peter, who was warming his hands on the night Jesus was betrayed, hey, you're a Galilean, aren't you? I swear to God I'm not. That's what his answer was, a whimpering mess of a man, useless to God, spineless, because he cared more about what other people thought of him than the truth or the condition of their souls. And now that's called the fear of man in the Bible. And the fear of man in the Bible, it says, is a trap. It's a snare. Because you can't live for truth if you're constantly afraid of what people think of you or the repercussions of what's coming out of your mouth. If you speak the truth and it's not well received, you're going to get pushback. And to avoid that, you might want to soften or change the message, which is exactly one of the reasons why people have left the gospel for a new and improved gospel, which there is no other gospel. Because they're thinking about how they're well-received. They want to be well-received. So they'll say, oh, listen, I don't believe that anymore. I believe God accepts and loves everybody as they are, which is a half-truth. But then he wants us to change and put our put his spirit in us, make us born again and reflect the image of God. So yeah, no more hell, no more need to repent, just a total tolerance of anything. If it just, you know, you don't hurt anybody, you know, who's to judge you? I'm not here to judge. That's the new gospel. Mm, it can't save. That's the problem there. And so, yeah, so maybe you're a little timid when sharing the gospel because you care more about their reaction to you. Uh, nothing like being filled with the Holy Spirit to give you boldness. Look at this man. No notes. There are thousands of people there because 3,000 people are going to get saved at his altar call. So he's standing not before a few people at a campfire. He's got no notes and this is a rich and powerful sermon. What a difference. The Spirit of God will come in 
and uh, fill in the gaps and raise you up, give you a spine so that you could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save somebody. And what's really important is their eternal soul, not a little pushback from them or a little bit of insult in calling us haters and narrow-minded, archaic, stupid, uh, surface kind of thinkers, right? What's more important? So, yeah, um, so dealing with mockers, something we have to get used to, and I don't mind taking a few minutes to talk about it because it's a big deal. Uh, sinners who wish to retain the sovereignty over their own lives and remain in sin uh, will always respond with hostility to any evidence of truth that comes their way because evidence of truth that there is a God to somebody who doesn't want that God is a threat to their autonomy. Uh, It's a threat to their fun. It's a threat to their sin. It's a threat to them because if God is real, they will have to submit to him. So anything that comes their way that says, hey man, you might want to rethink this, it needs to be um, discredited. They need to mock it away. Ah, are you kidding me? Because if it's credible, then they have to deal with it and they might end up bowing the knee. And so you don't have to say a word. You just have to have a changed life and that's threat enough. They'll already, they're ready to heap insults on you because you said, hey, that's not for me anymore. And so Peter says, yeah, of course your former friends They heap insults on you because you don't join them in their wild, immoral parties anymore. Just the fact that you say, no thanks, I don't do that anymore, is a slam because what it's saying is, if Jesus is Lord of your life, he's Lord of their life too. And so we need to mock that away. We need to discredit that away. And they'll, they'll say anything like, <laughs> as silly as, all 120 of them at 9 a.m. before they've even gotten their coffee, they're all tanked and drunk. <laughs> yeah, they see, but the same is true today. Nobody actually believed that. You know why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not a lack of self-control. They weren't behaving um, foolishly at all. They weren't falling all over themselves. They weren't uh, acting in unbecoming ways. Because the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is noble and right and good and not shameful. There's, there was nothing to say that something dark was happening uh, like that, and they don't buy it. And people don't buy their lame excuses now. Uh, they've already, those people who are mocking, have already decided about anything that comes as evidence of God, I'm closed. So the mocking comes from already deciding, I don't want to hear anything to jeopardize my own life and remain in a life where I can call my own shots and and be the captain of my own destiny. So the word there is to sneer or to jeer. So it's not an honest, like, hey, what's going on? Are are they all alcoholics? No, 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 no. Just like today. Nobody really believes one big bang happened. Oh, I'm a man of science. Oh, well, tell me about it. How did we all get here? Well, there was this big bang. Well, what caused the big bang? I don't know. (laughs) Well, uh, how can something 
come from nothing. I don't know. So nobody really believes it, but it's better to say something like that, as silly as they're all drunk, or we all came from nothing. Everything and, and everyone came from nothing and nobody. Well, nobody really believes that. But it's better than saying, I'm a sinner who needs to repent because I'm in rebellion to the truth that is evidence in creation itself. And so, you know, don't get me started. It's a little too late for that. (laughs) But that's what's going on here. And so, uh, you know, when light comes into a room that people are used to being in the dark, you know, (laughs) you know, when everybody's been asleep for a few hours and someone turns on the light like that, you know, you want to go after them, you know, you just... (laughs) You want to take them down? What are you thinking? Turning on the lights like that. And spiritually speaking, you just walk into the room. You don't have to say anything like I said, but you're flipping on the lights. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And those who don't want to hear that will push back with uh, mocking. And so just so you know, before we leave here, this passage here, Jesus says, if they give you a hard time, could you please keep in mind that they gave me a hard time and this has nothing to do with you? This has zero to do with you, so stop taking the mocking personally because all you're doing is acting like me and saying the words that I said. And they are responding to me through you. That's what he's saying. And guess what? He was savagely mocked. He was verbally brutalized. They even went for his mother once. They said, excuse me, but we weren't born illegitimately like you were. Yeah, your mother, we know the story. An angel came down, yeah. They knew the story. They mocked him, and they're going to mock anybody who uh, resembles him or teaches like he does. And yes, I do have to show you one more thing about mocking, because he's going to bring up the end of the world, and if you think you're going to get mocked for simply being a Christian, you're going to really get mocked for bringing the true message of the gospel. Check out Second Peter chapter 3. And most importantly, I want to remind you, Peter speaking, second letter, I want to remind you that in the last days, ah, there it is, scoffers, there it is again, will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They're going to say, whatever happened to the promise, Jesus is coming again. He's going to destroy the world and all of this. From before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. And he's going to go on to say, oh, has it? Is there evidence on the earth that there's been a worldwide cataclysmic judgment from God that wiped out all human life except eight souls. There's evidence, Grand Canyon, please. There's evidence. Where do you think all those sedimentary layers came from? The flood, not a flood. This, my friend, this happened from the flood. You see, so Peter says, mark as you will, But it's not beyond the scope of possibility 
that the same God who brought the first judgment to the world is fully capable and plans to do so again, not by water, but by fire. And that's how he closes out the chapter. But he says, and always, the love of God, always tagging the love of God. He so loved us that he crushed his son. He crushed his son. It pleased God to bruise him for the sake of the world. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but everybody to come to eternal life. And so he's storing up this wrath that he's already paid for. Anybody can come under that umbrella of protection. But if not, then he has to because he is just. He will bring wrath on wrath-deserving crimes and sins. Uh, and so we take a look at that now. So here comes the truth. Despite the mocking, he stands up and he's going to deliver anyway. Hey, you're drunk. Uh, let us hear what you're talking about. And he's like, okay, let me listen up. And so on the screen, verses 16 and following. Nope, not drunken gibberish. It's what the Bible talked about in Joel chapter 2, verse 16 there. So he quotes it, verse 17. In the last days, thus says the Lord, I'll pour out my Holy Spirit on men and women everywhere. This is a big deal. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, proclaim God's word. You young men will see visions and your old men will have prophetic dreams. Everyone who serves me, everyone who serves me, men and women, even servants, household servants, will be filled with my spirit in those days and will proclaim God's word. This is what it's all about. So he says, time is changing and now is here that knowing God and doing God's work and being used by God isn't for a select few anymore. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on a few people here and there. There was Moses and King David. There was uh, Moses' sister Miriam. There was Deborah who led Israel's army. She had the spirit of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah, all the prophets. But it was transient. The spirit would come and go. Now, the clarification. In the end times, after sins have been taken away and the curtain in the temple that separated a holy God from unholy sinners has been torn by God from top to bottom, signifying this, after the cross, the death and resurrection, the payment for your sins, now everybody, anybody, male, female, high class, low class, Jew, Gentile, has 24-7 access to God. God's spirit in a personal, listen, this is the point. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm glad you're applauding because it's a big deal that the presence of God is open to anybody, no matter how sinful you are. He says, turn from your sin, come and ask. Done. And then the Spirit rests on you, the Spirit comes into you and resides in you, and, and it will flow out of you. And now he just says, listen, Back in the day in the Old Testament, you couldn't just do that. God was behind the curtain. And if you were a Gentile, it means nations, it means outside of Judaism, you'd have to come and become a Jew to know the Lord. 
you'd have to come and go through the rituals and, and sign on, get your lamb and go before God and take your hands and put it on that little bleating lamb and confess your sins onto the lamb and the priest in your presence and the blood is taken there as an offering to say, listen, I can't come near you because of my filthy wretchedness, but I confessed all that on a, on a payment plan and boom, yeah, there's been a death on my behalf so I can come right by faith. Yes, temporarily. Until you sin again. We would need herds and herds and herds. <laughs> I would. So the Lamb of God, God himself, comes through the human womb and says, I'm going to take care of this permanently. And the Lamb of God, God's only Son, took on every sin we've ever committed and died and paid for them. It is finished. There's an accounting term that says paid in full. And so the point of this passage is do, get out of your mind some religious thing. It's this living, vibrant, spiritual thing where he walks with you and he thinks with you and he feels with you and he's inside you. You wake up, you're like, hello, Lord. And he's like, hello, John. And uh, let's start this day. And, and then people react and people say things. But you're clicking and the Holy Spirit's working and you have an answer. And then when, you, when you're off track, it's called being grieved. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, you feel it and you're like, whoops, got to make that right. You see, it's this living, breathing relationship, not this it. It's not the eight steps. It's not the 12 paths. It's a living, vibrant alive thing. And so the first thing he does is say, let me explain to you what you see. You're asking the question, what does this all mean? I'll tell you what it means. Right here. Bible based. So in the Greek is very strong. Don't miss it. He says, this is that. Opens up and he has a chapter and verse to turn to, to say, this is biblical. This is one of the things Calvary Chapel loves. We, we want everything we say and do, the protocols we have in place for ministry for you to be able to say, you know, what's this all about? Chapter and verse. This is that. We do communion because of this. We baptize people because of this. Here's the verse, you see. And we don't do things because it's not in there. For example, you know, some of our Pentecostal friends, we love them, love them. But sorry, some of the ways that they worship, I can't find in the scriptures. Uh, for one thing, falling over and rolling around on the ground. I, sorry, but the only, I would just say, what's the, I would walk in and say, what's the meaning of this? Just like the question. I see something, I want an explanation. Please give me chapter and verse for that behavior. Well, the only chapter and verse you're going to find for falling over like that is Jesus' enemies in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're the only ones who get slayed in the spirit. I'm sorry. While is it the end of the world? No. But is it uh, a reason why we're not going to do it? Yeah. And so this is that. That's an important thing. Even in your lives, be able to say, well, this is happening because of this right here. That's what he's doing right there. And so, yes, and so now, 
uh, it's a relief to know that the Spirit comes our way uh, no matter what's going on. I, I wanted to say, he says, in the last days. The last days had arrived. So if it was the last days started 2,000 years ago, we are in the last seconds, right? Because 2,000 years. What does he mean by the in the last days? He's saying God's program to save the world had finished. God has nothing more to do in the sense of saving men's souls because he gave the law that showed our need and convicted us of our sin. He formed the nation through which he came to save. He lived the perfect life for us. He died the perfect death for us. He has risen from the dead for us. He ascended into heaven for us and sent the Holy Spirit. Now, he's done. So the last days is just man the lifeboats and get people reconciled to him through their faith, through hearing the gospel. That's why he says last days. The next thing on God's calendar is just to appear, to rescue the church first, and then to bring judgment with the, since we're calling it the apocalypse, the apocalypse. And so he does mention three things. He, he says there'll be prophesying, there'll be uh, spiritual visions and dreams. Now, the word prophesying, like I said, the wider meaning of that, we always think in the predictive sense, and it includes that, obviously, right? So in Acts, later on, we'll see a man named Agabus who has the Holy Spirit, because anyone who knows the Lord has the Holy Spirit. He'll stand up, and in a meeting, they're having a home fellowship group, and the Apostle Paul's there, and he's like, man, Paul's saying, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, come hell or high water. And he says... Um, the Holy Spirit's showing me uh, you're going to really suffer if you go there. And Paul said, I know, but thank you for that. Because he prophesied, right? But usually the word means, generally speaking, that you're speaking for God. So when you're having coffee, sharing the gospel, flipping open your Bible, technically you are prophesying in the sense of this word. You are proclaiming God's word. So there you are. It's a wider sense of God. And the point is, is that God fills every believer with the spirit. And as Jesus said, listen, if you drink of the water I give, streams of living water will flow from your inmost being out. Do you see? So he fills us with the spirit. And then, and in the sense of proclaiming, we share words of life that are empowered to raise, us, spiritually speaking, a soul uh, from the dead. 1 Corinthians 12 gives us an idea how the Holy Spirit moves in proclaiming ways through our mouths with giving us words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of discernment. In other words, the Holy Spirit knows stuff we don't know. Duh, right? And so when we're in a situation usually without you knowing it, you feel prompted to say something, you'll say something, and then in hindsight, everyone goes, oh, wow, that was the Lord, because of the way things unfolded, right? Once in a while, you will know that God has actually given you a word, right? So I, I told last service this story, amazing, we were at this dead end, the kids were four, six, and eight, 
we were settled into a ministry, uh, the thing that we just felt, should we stay in San Francisco, should we move? And we really were confused. One morning, I'm having my quiet time, the kitchen table, and I read about Abraham just getting up and following, and I wanted to do a little Hebrew word search on that word, of, and, and it means to strike out. To, 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 to strike out into the wilderness, right? And I just thought, oh, that's a funny way of putting it. Oh, my word. I highlighted it, strike out. Barb walks in minutes later, and she had been reading her Bible. And she came in, and she, she said, oh, you're having your quiet time. And I said, yeah, I am. And she goes, I don't know why, but I'm having this phrase in my head over and over again, strike out, strike out, strike out. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is, this is miraculous. And she's like, what? what does it mean? Strike out, strike out, strike out. I said, it means we're moving. <laughs> That's what it means. And, and we moved to Petaluma, got involved with Calvary Chapel Petaluma, which was a jumping off place for this church. So it was very important that God get our attention, you see. And I just find when really important things are on the line. God is just, these are ways, God, whether it's a vision where he gives you some kind of thing, like Paul the Apostle doesn't know where to go next, he's lost, he's in Troas, he's up against the sea, and he has a vision of a man with a Greek accent saying, come on over and help us. He's the man from Macedonia, which is ancient Greece. So Paul concluded from the vision in his mind, Oh, God is calling us to Europe. And that's the first time the gospel goes to European soil. So when there are very important times, God will just bring in a wise word and, 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 or a vision or a dream. You know, Joseph married uh, Mary. Mary's Joseph there. Four dreams, right? And some, it's however, just here's the point. God wants he lives in our hearts. And he wants to talk to us. And he wants to get through to us. And, and there are different ways he gets through to us. Now, you know, um, I'm going to tell you one more because I can't resist. Uh, strange thing. It's only happened once. <laughs> You'll be happy to know. Uh, I, I was a waiter. I was 20. I was at Bible college filled with the spirit. I was like witnessing the, the gospel to, uh, I don't know, a fire hydrant. I would just tell... <laughs> anybody about the gospel, you know? And so uh, I met the owner of the restaurant one night and I put up my hand and he shook my hand and the second our hands touched, I felt like the Lord said to me, he's going to die, preach the gospel. Straight like, and I'm like, whoa, weird, weird, weird. Stop it, stop it. You know, to myself, right? And so, yeah, days were going on, and I just kept hearing, he's going to die, share the gospel. And I put it off a little bit, because I'm just like, that's just a crazy thing to think. He looked perfectly fine, only 50 years old. And so uh, I walk into work, and somebody said, "You, you hear what happened to Paul? And I'm like, no, what? Is he alive? Tell me he's alive. And he goes, he had a heart attack. He's in the hospital. I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. So I get in the car. I drove like a madman to the hospital. I walked through there like I own the place. I remember to this day walking through nurses looking at me like I'm looking at them like, what's your problem? I'm, doc- I'm a doctor. You know? 
I found that room miraculously. I walk in, Paul sits up, and he goes, hey, it's nice to see you here. He knew I went to Bible college, right? And so I said, hey, man, what happened? He goes, out of nowhere, just had a heart attack. And I went, oh, I go, I've got something to share with you. I want to tell you about the gospel. You know about the Bible. And he goes, oh, I want to hear. I want to hear. And I'm like, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And so I shared as quickly and as concisely as possible. And and he gets saved. And his wife. She says, can I pray too? I'm like, no, sorry. No. (laughs) So there we are praying up a storm. Two weeks later, he died. Now, don't be afraid to shake my hand. (laughs) It's never happened again. Right? And I think I've had one dream where I think God was trying to get through to me. Usually dreams are from eating like bad things at 7-Eleven. <laughs> and Pastor Adam loves to eat right off the rotisserie there at 7-Eleven. And somehow, somehow he's still with us. It's a... <laughs> what is it called? <laughs> I I highly recommend them if you want to have a spiritual dream. (laughs) And that's the closing thing I want to say about this part here, is that um, Christians can be off, and we can get crazy. And we think we're hearing when we're not. And then we hear what we want to hear. And so then we hear things for other people. Um, So the safest thing is to confirm everything by the scriptures, right? And if all God ever says to you is what's written in the book, that's enough. Amen? Well, the point here, he's alive, and he wants a living relationship with you. And the closing up, let's get to the end of the world. (laughs) I will show you scary, scary things, miraculous scary things, in the constellations, that's the word there, not heaven, heaven, and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, billows of smoke is always in association with the day of the Lord, which is a seven-year period that brings human corrupt history to a screeching halt so that the kingdom of God can be established. So he says the sun will be turned to darkness. In other words, there's so much smoke and nuclear God assisted nuclear. He blesses the nuclear power there. And there's just so much darkness that the moon is this deep red blood color and they don't, the constellations are even shaken. And the reason we, but he says, look, but good news, anyone who just calls on the name of the Lord, not climb Mount Everest, not become this really good Christian, no, just call on the name, boom. You're spared. Now let me show you that we know these words are prophesied 400 years before, but also Jesus will use them. In Luke 21, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars he's talking about as appearing. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world 
for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So there's such a judgment. And if you read Revelation chapter 6, his opening day of judgment day, all the way to chapter 19, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowls of wrath poured out on the earth, so much so that at the end, there's no life in the oceans, the, the mountains are gone, and Jesus said it's so bad that if those days were not shortened, no one would survive. And he calls it, he said, in those days of great tribulation, Matthew 24 and verse 21, that's where we get the title, the great tribulation. And so, yeah, and, and, it, and it makes sense that God has been keeping track of sins since Cain, in cold blood, killed his righteous brother. Since that first sin, God has been keeping track of everybody's sin that ever sinned. And payback time is coming commensurate to all of the sins of all of the people, of all of the time. That's why the earth is like charred remains. And that's why Jesus wasn't recognizable as a human being. Because the wrath that paid for all of those sins was upon God's own son so that there'd be an umbrella for some from the wrath of God. But either way, he has to pay. He's just. He's like, those sins aren't just like wink, wink, done away with. Oh no, there'll be payment and payment is coming. That's called the apocalypse. And then hell after that. But only for those who reject the escape route. The escape plan that God did in great love. Now let's talk about that escape plan. Everybody knows God is upset about something. Even these days, the world is like, the world The world knows. I was reading just uh, Copenhagen has come up with a digital code, a barcode that you could put on your wrist. And now Copenhagen is saying, we're ready, we're ready. And if you want to get your hair done, if you want to go get a tattoo, if you want to buy a cup of coffee, if you want to travel to the United States, all you have to do is put your hand out, boom, scanned, and you're vaccinated. Uh, it shows that you're vaccinated and you've got a passport to buy and sell. Everyone in the world goes, uh, that reminds me of something, isn't it in the Bible? Uh, <laughs> So everybody knows. So I told you about my neighbor uh, during the height of the in the height of long lines and the pandemic scares and all of that oh, a year ago. We both walked out of our door. He knows I'm a pastor, right? And we both walk out and we're in sync with each other. He looks at me, I look at him. He looks up in the sky and he goes, "He's ticked, isn't he?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes, indeed." He's ticked, and he's about to come and show how ticked he is. You know, his tickness is about to be revealed, all right? <laughs> and I said later in a conversation with him, but he loves us, and he took out his wrath on Jesus so that whoever calls, that's going to be the sting. The sting is how easy it could have been just to prevent yourself all of that. By just calling? Well, it's come calling because you want to surrender, Right, it's not just calling to call and then do your own thing. 
right? And so let me show you in closing why there's a rescue plan, because he promises something. Now let me show you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Christian mission statement, which should end all your fears about having to go through the tribulation. In the context of the tribulation, Paul says, listen guys, you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And this is your mission statement. We're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. That is not hell. That's the apocalypse. Well, he already told us at the end of the sermon, blood, blood moons and stars and shakings and fire and smoke, whoever calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Not from hell, not there. The context is the day of the Lord. And so he says, says right there, if you're waiting for Jesus, you will be rescued from the coming wrath because we're not appointed to wrath. Jesus paid for our wrath. Now, if it's coming upon the whole earth, how do you rescue your people from something you're sending to the whole earth? You'd have to, like, take us out of the way, right? Exactly. <laughs> so First Thessalonians 4 says, in keeping with the Lord's own words. Where's the Lord's words on this? Well, let me remind you. When he said, oh, it's going to be, when I appear, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Oh, people eating and drinking, going out for margaritas, you know, they're, sorry. <laughs> they're going to be doing their thing. It's just a little clueless. Now, now, excuse me, but there's a different picture painted of the second coming where there's no ocean life, no mountains, and the sun, moon, and stars are on fire. So I don't see how that could be weddings and margaritas. There are two comings. He comes secretly as a thief to save his blood-bought church from harm's way. That's called the blessed hope. And the way we get the word rapture is from the words caught up will be cut up together in the clouds. Paul already said, let me tell you a mystery, we're not all going to die. Some of us are going to hear a trumpet and boom, we're going to be changed. That's the same idea. According to the Lord's words, we get caught up. The Latin, when Latin came out, it was rapturo. It got anglicized to rapture. And then it stuck in the 1800s. So we, call, we could call it the catching up, the snatching up, or the rapture. We call it the rapture. So listen, Revelation 3.10. He said, because you kept my word, I will keep you, speaking to the church, I will keep you, I will spare you from the hour of tribulation coming on the whole earth. Okay, well, how do you do that if it's coming on the whole earth? I take you to be with me as a thief in the night. A thief breaks in, nobody knows. He, he breaks in and he takes what's valuable and he gets out of there. That's why he calls himself a thief in the night, right? The second time he comes, he's not coming as a thief in the night. He's coming to bring it, right? And so there's a difference here. And so with this is the, what's called the blessed hope. And you're just going to know this. When you talk this stuff, you open yourself up for what? Mocking. Oh, he's going to come and rescue you. You're going to go up in the clouds with Jesus. And you know, while they're doing that, it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody somewhere will be giving some Christian a hard time going, oh yeah, you're going to, you know, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And then the shout, boom. 
I can't wait. I hope it. I really, I've been asking God, could you just time it, set me up for it? I just, I really, I mean, talk about a sermon illustration, man, boom. Yeah. And, and by the way, they can repent. Do you realize that there won't be one Christian on the planet? Why? Because God's wrath is being poured out on people not paid for. We've been paid for. We don't deserve to be on the planet with wrath because he paid for it, you see. So that's the gospel, and it's pretty awesome. And so the three takeaways for me, if you're wondering, number one, God's work in the world will always bring us new life and joy, and it always will bring mocking and persecution. Number two, the Christian life was designed to be a living, vibrant, personal, powerful relationship daily with the Spirit of God. And number three, the first and foremost important message, Judgment Day is coming. God made a way of escape. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Amen? Let's pray together. (laughs) Father God, now as we close out in a word of prayer, We're just thankful for the gospel, as unpopular and crazy as it sounds, God. We're in 100% because you you proved yourself. You changed us. You opened our eyes. We were mockers before. I was the worst mocker. I'm ashamed of what came out of my mouth. And now I'm preaching the faith I once tried to destroy, like so many others here. So thank you for your grace and mercy. We... Bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.